What's going on? Welcome back to the Look Mum, I'm Hustling podcast, episode 44, first episode of 2023. This is going to be our year. I know at the start of 2022, there was a bit of um, turmoil. Everyone was like, it's going to be our year post-COVID, but it kind of ended up being not the best year, right? So 2023 will be our year and your year as well if you're listening. Yeah, it could be new year, new us, new pod, but no, it's going to be the same pod, but... New energy, new year, new energy. We'll try and bring yeah. some new energy to you guys. Uh, we have some interesting articles to get to to kick off the year, actually. Um, we've been hustling a lot. That's kind of the premise of the show. We talk about anything business, science, culture related that we're into and try and bring a bit of bit of a spotlight on things we're, we're interested in. Hopefully, you guys enjoy the ride every week. And we're trying to condense a week's worth of um, hustle, business, science, entertainment news into one jam-packed hour. So we're going to do our best to do that and we're going to be number one in the sector this year. Yeah, and provide so. a bit of inspo for everybody <laughs> yeah. and, you know, maybe in 2023 this will be the- No maybes. No, there's no okay. maybe's in 2023. No, in 2023 this will be the year that you'll have that side hustle. You'll make that little bit extra income, you know, cost, yeah. of, cost of living's going up. And we're so going to help you with some, that. We're, yeah. going to, we're going to try and bring new hustle ideas to you each, each week, hopefully yeah. each week. And um, yeah, we'll get you guys making some money in these dark, dark recession times. But yeah. we have some interesting topics this week. Art house movies, art house directors, are they under fire? Does the way we consume films in the post-pandemic world mean the de- decline of art house films? Everyone's sort of at home streaming TV series and stuff now. They don't really go to the cinemas. And when they do go to the cinemas, they're only going to see the big mega blockbusters. We've seen Avatar a couple of weeks ago. Go back and check that episode out if you like. Um, but it could be the slow decline of the new and up-and-coming art house directors that sort of shaped what we watched in the, the 90s and the early 2000s. Yeah, so 100%. In- interesting the way that the whole market shifting, obviously recession fears, there's not a lot of money to throw around at new projects and new directors to give them a chance. So we'll get into that. Sportswear inventory problems. Yeah, well, it's not just like we're going to be talking about sportswear today, but there's a whole bunch of companies that have a big inventory problem with the boom of COVID and people shopping online and spending a whole bunch of money. Um, they're like, oh, fire out. We need to have the stock so we can yep. actually keep the supply. And now people are sort of chilling back, sort of watching to see how things go and sort of calm down on that spending yeah, at the moment. Inventory is piling up. Nike is still battling high inventory as it sees a slowdown in China. That's from modern retail and Adidas as well scrambling to sell half a billion dollars worth of Yeezy stock after the the split with controversial rapper figure Kanye West. So so the two of the biggest sportswear companies are just sitting on mountains and mountains of stock. And Mm -hmm. I guess we're going to dive into what they're going to do to clear those storerooms out, right? We we ran a little side hustle. Well, it's a side hustle for you. It's a main hustle for me (laughs) selling clothes on eBay. So we can sort of relate in terms of having too much stock lying around and might give us a new perspective on how we operate our business. That could be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we could finally get some Air Force One super cheap. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think I've had a couple of pairs. I just never, never wore them, right? But just dirty, grubby ones. Need a, yeah. need a bit of a clean. Um, but in saying that, Nike and Adidas might be on sale for the next six to 12 months while they sort of clear out those storerooms. Tech trends of 2022, you've... You've looked into some new tech trends. What's what's coming well, up? No, well, tech trends are 2023. Oh, 2023. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm living in the past already. <laughs> living in the past, I know. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing a bit of a deep dive on just um, tech trends and stuff because, again, with COVID and everything, it's really highlighted, I guess, gaps in the industry um, and the people, the way that people want to spend their time and with the type of tech as well has changed. Yep. And yeah, I've just done a bit of a deep dive to really see what it's going to um, – well, what, what I can share for you all. And then another part is um, VR. Like VR is really changing a mm. lot of industries, especially the medical industry. Interesting. In mm. these times, no, no one has any or has less discretionary spending money. It's always cool to see what new gadgets you can't afford, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And it'd be like, is this actually going to be worth it? Will this actually improve my life? I know. Because every year we hear about new things, right? Mm-hmm. Like VR, AR, all this stuff's been around for a while. We yeah. Crypto a couple of years ago, or crypto's still around, but NFTs was sort of the hype. And not really a tech trend, but like a, a cultural trend in general mm-hmm. about how and where to spend your money. So we'll get into that. And also we have an interesting side hustle we did name this segment Hustle of the Week a month ago. We haven't done one since, so maybe we'll just call it Hustle of the Month perhaps. Maybe. <laughs> uh, interesting side hustle where a woman charges $480 an hour. It's a lot of money, right? That is a lot it's of like money. 20x yeah. what we currently do. Mm-hmm. Uh, $480 an hour to help Gen Z and millennial workers overcome their fear of talking on the phone. That's from Business Insider. So. I mean, you, I'm not you work, surprised. You work in retail. I mm-hmm. hate answering the phone. I have a mild case of anxiety every time the phone rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's hustles out there teaching people how to manage that phobia. Yeah. We'll get into that. 
Yeah, there's a bunch of, like, they call it, not they call them, but, like, the COVID kids, right? So they've, you know, been indoors for the last two years, haven't really been able to socialise at school. Like, they've just been chatting online. And the online chat culture is so much different to the interpersonal, like, face-to-face sort of chatting and calling and stuff. So there's a lot of skills to be learned there because I guess they don't teach you in school how to call people up on the phone anymore. They don't. And, you know, we used to have landlines and stuff, but we'll get, we'll get into that at the end of the show. That's the sort of interesting hustle. If you're looking to make some extra money, 480 bucks an hour ain't Not bad. bad. I'll kick things off with uh, the movie, The Hollywood Economy, right? Do you want to bring this up on the screen for me? Sure can. So this is from The New Yorker, A Dangerous Moment in the Hollywood Economy. I'm just going to read off the old highlights here that we've made ahead of time. We're actually a little bit more prepared this time around. Everybody enjoy. Yeah, a little bit more prepared. <laughs> Uh, many excellent movies were released in theaters in 2022, but most of them are hardly recognized on the Hollywood economic scales. So obviously, we all enjoy seeing movies and stuff, right? But there is a financial cost to making them. And the reason they get aired in cinemas is to obviously share the story and the artistic form itself. But mm-hmm. they need to make money back to 100%. make it worth everyone's while because yeah. you know, movies aren't cheap to make. No. Uh, in the current environment, a few good movies are likely to make money the old-fashioned way in theaters meanwhile the new fashioned way of streaming doesn't seem to reliably channel money to producers and distributors so as i said post-pandemic world everyone's streaming a lot more um i mean most things we watch on netflix and stuff do you know you don't even know half the actors they're new actors you don't really i guess compared to previous hollywood of 60s 70s 80s 90s all these generations and decades we're familiar with you sort of go and see movies based on the actors or the people or the directors that are making the movie, right? But now in this pandemic world, it's sort of not really the the star-studded lineup that we all come come become used to, right? Yeah. Well, like, I don't remember when I was a kid, there would be countless movies that you could just go to to the cinemas, like, on the weekend, just go, right? Because it wasn't super expensive. Yeah. Um, you could just go and watch, you know, two or three movies over a weekend, right? Because your parents just wanted some peace and quiet and wanted mm-hmm. the kids out of the house. But now, because they're so expensive, you sort of pick and choose what you want to see. So it has to be something that's really going to draw your attention because, yeah. like, people don't want to waste $30 on a shit movie, right? And you've already spent $15 on a Netflix, Netflix subscription. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's mountains of hours of content to already consume to 100%. make you stay at home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same as sort of YouTube, um, social media algorithms. They want to stick you on the platform longer than necessary, whereas a movie is like you're in and out in two hours unless you go see an avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, so since movie theaters opened again after the first pandemic shutdowns, box office returns from new films by notable directors have been a fraction of their earlier films' results. So basically they list a bunch of movies here and – how uh, some of these movies you're familiar you're familiar with the directors, but the money that they're drawing in aren't what they used to be. From if the if the same director made a movie ten years ago, for example, oh, doesn't yeah. make anywhere near enough money now to, I guess keep keep it going and to make it a viable option. Because mm-hmm. it's it's almost like yeah, the actors are just a little bit more popular now than the directors themselves. Yeah, are they? I mean, are they just? Saving themselves for those bigger, bigger, bigger roles, or is there more money in streaming? Because uh, back in the day. I think we're having this conversation the other day. It's a lot of the we'll get into the art house sort of stuff, but a lot of the art house stuff that we grew up on was they made a lot of their money and their cult following from DVDs, VHS sales, which is not a thing anymore, right? No, it's, it's a very small fraction of what what uh, where the money can come from, or even like merchandising. But there's only in terms of merchandising from movies, there's only really toys and kids lines. There's not a lot of adult expenditure outside of going to the cinemas itself and watching something on Netflix. So it's, it's interesting to see or to consider where they're even making money from these movies. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> great, great, uh, great add on there. Oh, no. <laughs> like, it add on more. Like, it's, well, right. like, when we're with, especially with those kind of movies, it'd be word of mouth, right? Like, your friends would tell you, yeah. go see this movie or you go rent a movie and there'd be a string of trailers before, like, on the videotape, right? Yeah. There'd be a string of trailers and you'd be like, oh, I want to watch that one. Or, you know, it was like back in the day, you'd be like, oh, what would you recommend? And you actually speak to the staff and you'd exactly. be like, what, what do you recommend? And they always recommend, you know, the indie ones or the art house ones or ones that have just, like, started to get that cult following. Yeah. Um, and but that's now you, how- just get, you just get a feed sent on your on your TV, your smart TV's home screen, right? Yeah, or you literally Google best movies of December. Exactly. Hmm. So we're relying on critics, essentially. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, Hollywood has been in a state of nearly uninterrupted crisis at least since the 1950s when television 
cut deeply into movie going and the 60s when Hollywood old guard was slow to bring in new talent. So I guess there's always been this flux in terms of movie going and other forms of content taking away the attention from tra- traditional cinema experience. So it's almost like TV killed the movies and stream and like then also like streaming has killed sort of like TV and movies yeah. at the same time. Yeah. The present day commercial dilemma follows on the great uh, hollowing of the 2000s when critics and analysts offered a collective threnody. Don't know what that means. Uh, I think it means sort of just uh, something negative uh, connotation for the mid-range drama for adults. So I'll read that again. Critics and analysts offered a collective threnody for the mid-range drama for adults when the market for studios' relatively high budget but unspectacular movies was being taken over by so-called prestige. So basically what they're saying is the analysts and critics that you know write for I mean, this magazine or any magazine in terms of the entertainment space started shifting away from um, writing reviews and stuff for movies to like high quality TV shows. Like remember like the ER era. Right, like Sopranos, like that big sort of HBO shift. Yeah, Yeah, so it was pretty much wasn't it HBO that really shifted good quality TV and then Game Mm -hmm. of Thrones and then Game of Thrones really like made it all pop. Yeah. Um, What distinguishes feature films from serial television is the primacy. Primacy? Primacy. Primacy of Mm -hmm. the director. In television, the showrunner is, in effect, the head writer and directors are mostly hired hands. That's what I was saying earlier. A huge selling point for these movies in the 90s that we grew up on were was the director behind the scenes, right? Now it's more the, show, the, the writer is probably, you don't really know the writer's name, but the writing for these shows and stuff now is what sells the show itself. It's not the direct, directorial, directorial um spin on things. Well, 100%. Because, like, for example, you got James Cameron who, like, did Titanic or you got Ridley Scott or you got, like, Tarantino. You come because of the name. Exactly. So, what, like, like even, uh, like, I'm not even that familiar with that many movies. Like, you, you're you more of a movie buff. I, I like the blockbusters more. Mm-hmm. I think you're more of a an art house type person. But I guess things transition from what you consider art house to a, a cult classic or a big blockbuster over time it doesn't necessarily have to be filmed as a blockbuster like avatar or a batman or something Mm -hmm. but it can become i guess a at home blockbuster if that makes sense it becomes like a a bigger thing so like you said tarantino and stuff like his first couple of movies probably wasn't considered a blockbuster in the cinema but then it slowly grows over time right no definitely and like kevin smith is another huge example right with clerks like that's that's probably one of the better examples yeah yeah yeah. so he's um it's actually on a podcast your mom's house with um tom segura like he was just really talking about it he made a movie for like super cheap right he like dropped out of film school and was like well i can either put that money from my tuition to like learn how to film or i can actually use that money and make a film and get real life experience. experience yeah and that was like such a huge thing like it it was one of those moments where it was such a word of mouthing and such reliant on the reviews and people talking about it. That's where they made the money. Like it, if it wasn't for that, and a lot of these indie films as well, if it wasn't for like reviews or word of mouth, and the um, film festivals is a big a big generator of exactly the popularity. yeah, like they would have just lost money. But yeah. and that's like another thing that's sort of happening now these days is. Without, you know, Blockbuster, like the actual video rentals, without renting and people being able to buy DVDs, they're losing money. So, not as many movies are being made now, which Mm. is really interesting because people aren't buying that physical product. So, the only way to like, as a a small studio, I guess, would be to then license it out to a a streaming platform and then hope that it it gets some notoriety through a a Paramount or through a a Netflix or something like that. 100%, like Glass Onion or something like that, you know, the Knives Out sort of series on Netflix. If that got released in the cinemas, would have had such a huge popularity around. Mm. Like it's got an all-star studded cast, but because it's just only on the streaming platform, you only can get it on Netflix. Yeah. Like it just makes that a little bit more, I guess, like an indie film in a way. Yeah. The greatest danger that the industry faces is one that's largely under the radar. The, dif- under the, radar. the difficulty face by as yet unrecognized ultra-low-budget grassroots filmmakers to gain recognition for their work and to make their way into the industry. So I guess, it's, again, it's just saying there's a, a very little options and avenues for, like, grassroots new up-and-comers to, like, mm-hmm. get their foot in the door, right? Yeah. And I think um, Matt Damon was saying this a while back as well, right? He's known for 
not only doing indie films, like you think of Goodwill Hunting, but like big blosters like Born Identity and stuff. And he said there's a there's a huge reason why you only see like big blockbusters, full action movies at the cinemas now is because those are really the only movies that sort of can get their money back, like Top Gun and all those kind of things. But if you're going to do like a Goodwill Hunting today, put that in the cinemas, it's not going to make as much money as it did. Right. Like it really relied on those DVD sales and those rentals and stuff to really make that money back. It's interesting because mm. a lot of those um- – I guess, more drama-driven shows as opposed to action or movies, rather. Um, they're the ones that are probably more in the art house realm mm. in terms of, like, gaining popularity over time. So that's interesting. I mean, this article from The New Yorker has a bunch of other movies that um, they're sort of referring to in, in terms of the, the, there's no huge director behind them, but, mm-hmm. like, the stories are really well-written yeah. that have the potential to blow up over time, but there's just not that... Like you said, not in that word of mouth to like generate yeah. it outside. Because, I mean, everything's been closed down as well. I don't mm-hmm. know if there's film festivals even on for the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, it's almost like you need to appeal to the masses, right? Like you need to be pretty broad. You need to be able to like have those few aspects that most people like. So if the majority of the population love action or if the majority of the population love sci-fi or love romance those are the movies that are going to be made. They're not going to make like a little quirky, you know, drama that's about I don't know, somewhere else, like it's, you know, they've got to have movies that appeal to the masses and that's how they're going to, because it's money at the end of the day. And it kind of has to tie into the the collective consciousness of, of the culture, right? Like if everyone's, like for the next couple of years are in sort of fear mode because of recession, inflation, mm-hmm. uh, interest rates going up and stuff like that, you want comedy, you want lighthearted stuff. But the thing with movies is they take years to make. So like you can't kind of predict what the culture is going to want so it's an interesting way of looking at it. There's another sort of add-on article here by filmstories.co.uk that sort of highlights the um, how box office levels are going to get plummeted or crushed. So the European art house industry is a concerning state at the moment. Box office levels have failed to recover following the global pandemic and inflation has pushed the price of filmmaking even higher. Yeah, could you imagine? Yep. Far out. Oh, I can't imagine because I don't have $5 billion <laughs> budget for a movie. Art house releases need much longer theatrical runs than they are currently getting, with evidence suggesting that such films benefit from word of mouth to build slowly. Lots of art house films tend to maximise their earning potential during their eighth week of release. So I guess their point is like for these, like we watched everywhere. What's the movie with um, everything everywhere all at once? I that, think. that was a, yeah. a, I guess more of an art house one that's going to turn into a cult classic, right? Mm-hmm. But it may not have got its notoriety or or uh, popularity if it didn't get a long enough run at the cinemas. So I guess this article here is saying you need to leave these smaller budget art house films in the cinema longer to let them gain momentum, as opposed mm-hmm. to like pulling them off market and then putting new things on every week. Um, so it's, it's a it's a money uh, inflation problem at the filmmaking end, but it's also getting butts in seats at the cinema end. If no one's coming to see an art house film and you have a new Batman or something coming out, you're going to want to do more screenings of that because you can make your revenue faster. Yeah, because that's, what, that's what's appealing to the masses at the moment and that's what it's going to make because the cinema's a business at the end of the day as well, right? They want to sell their popcorns. They want to sell their, you know, drink popcorn that's combos. That's yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and things like, I think Avatar, for example, right, they've just hit like $1 billion like in the box office, I think, from memory where at the beginning they're saying, oh, it's not doing so well, it's not competing. But again, it just needs those few weeks run, right, to build that momentum to really uh, – get that interest and stuff and i guess because it's james cameron and because it's avatar they can afford to leave it there for a little bit longer anyway just to get Mm. that momentum going and like top gun for example it was in the cinemas for like months right and a a big market right now is the chinese market for these films Mm -hmm. uh i think when we did the avatar episode a couple of weeks ago they were i think it was like 10 or 20 percent of the revenue that they were looking to like forecast in their budget for how much money the, the movie was going to make. A lot of it was coming from China and they just, obviously there's a lot of dramas going on there. They've just um, released everyone from lockdowns and stuff. Everyone's mm-hmm. fearful of getting COVID. No one's really going to the cinema there. So that has blunted their first couple of weekends of, of uh, revenue. So yeah, China plays a, a big factor in a lot of this stuff and kind of this next article as well, if you want to bring it up is, is a potential Chinese, not a Chinese problem, but like impacted by the way China's 
getting run right now. So Nike is still battling high inventory as it sees a slowdown in China. Uh, the company, obviously Nike, reported better than expected earnings for the second fiscal quarter of 2023, or that should be 2022 on Tuesday, um, and revealed that there's $9.3 billion worth of product sitting in warehouses right now, which is up 43% from the same time last year. That's a lot. That's almost up 50%. Yes. And the quarter beforehand, they were up 44%. So they're sort of the last two quarters have just had a, a, a massive amount of stock piling up for a number of reasons. Nike attributed its still elevated still elevated inventory levels to an increase in units from overlapping um, the supply from different uh, over, overlapping inventory um, from last the last couple of years of supply chain disruption, um, as well as higher input costs. So basically, during um, the whole pandemic and stuff, they wanted to make sure there's enough stock on shelves. The last thing you want to do, especially for a gigantic company like Nike, is have no stock available to customers. So they would have overspent on inventory to make sure they're not going to get caught out by the supply chain issues, and then basically they didn't sell enough and now it's sort of piling up. Yeah, no, 100%. Because like the last thing, like any business, like if someone comes into your shop, you want to be able to sell them things and make money, right? The last thing you want to do is them to walk out because you don't have the stock. Yep. That's like a retail's like worst nightmare. Exactly. So you can, And it's just reputation for the brand. 100%. If, if, if you don't have any items to sell, yeah. you're not looking good. No, exactly. I mean, you've got stock, um, stock market to consider. you got, you know, CEOs, everyone that's making money and mm-hmm. investors, you need to satisfy everyone. Yeah. The customer comes first. And plus you have like the factories that make the, the items and all that kind of thing. There's this whole big like chain effect or supply chain essentially. Um, And I think that's what, again, is a bit of like COVID sort of themed episode unintentionally, but it's really highlighted those supply, supply chain issues. So they wanted to make sure they had the stocks so they weren't short. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, its revenue, so not, obviously Nike, Nike's revenue for the quarter was $13.3 billion. Um, You can actually go on. There's a bunch of websites you can go on and see the the quarter earnings and all of the, the details. So we run a small business, as I said at the start of the show, and we know our cost of goods, our operating expenses, all that sort of stuff. Being a publicly traded company, you can go and see all this data mm-hmm. for any of these companies, and it's interesting to see um, just how their, their business is structured and stuff. It's an interesting way to look at are billions and billions of dollars flowing in and out of the company compared to ten thousand here and there. In yeah. our in our case, <laughs> uh, the revenue for the quarter was up thirteen was thirteen point three billion, up seventeen percent from the prior year, and this is largely thanks to a boost in direct to consumer business. So, a big shift that they did at the start of the year was, I don't know if it was in response to the pandemic and lockdowns and stuff, but they've started to reduce the amount of inventory and stock going to. Wholesales and wholesalers like yes. Foot Locker, all these places that sell multiple, multiple brands of shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one reason is they can maintain brand integrity, the way it's displayed, the customer experience. They're just start, they're starting to focus on direct to consumer. Yes. Um, so I guess coming out of the middleman a little bit, and you don't know if these stores or the malls that have these sort of wholesale stores are going to be shut down for a long time. So they've tried to do a workaround in terms of getting sales directly to the customer. Um, But yeah, up 17% from the prior year. And that was in a large response to direct consumers, direct to consumers. Nike's most recent earnings cover the three months ending November 30, which includes Black Friday and stuff. Um, Which is a huge day in sales. Yeah, which is interesting um, for Nike is their... Their quarters are split up separately, so their Christmas falls into a different quarter. So they don't have like Aww. one huge bumper one in, Interesting. with Christmas and Black Friday in one. Whereas here in Australia, it's in the same quarter. It is. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I, I'm. I thought it would be just the same for every company, but they must have it structured in a, in a way to circumvent that. Unless it's to do with like a tax issue as well. Because I know here in Australia, you just got the Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. That's it. Um, But yeah, it just says this is important because the holiday season kind of gets chopped up between two quarters for Nike, whereas it gets fully encapsulated in most other companies' fiscal quarters. So it's just a a specific Nike thing, right? It's probably just dealt with sales and budget. It's just like- even it out, span it, average it out. Well, because you don't want all- Because like in most retailers, right, especially the Christmas season or this like- Black Friday and then Boxing Day sales, if they're going to be in the same month or in the same quarter, it's going to be out of um, out of balance compared to all the other quarters. Oh, even just the next year. Yeah. Whereas if you have it separated into two, it's sort of you can analyze them separately. Mm-hmm. 
Um, obviously, you can break things down monthly as well, but I guess most of these companies work in a quarterly fashion, especially when they have shareholders and stuff. Uh, like other apparel and footwear brands, Nike has recently stepped up sales and promotions to offload the excess inventory. It acknowledged that higher markdowns to liquidate the inventory in the in North America caused its gross margin to drop 300 basis points. That's 3%. So I wonder what they would do to... Cause- a shoe collector sneakerheads, right? Would that reduce the cost of those collective the collector, items? The collector things, no. Like think about the percentage of items that are got, getting bought and sold and like held as like an investment or a collector thing as opposed to everyone just buying the latest running shoe. Like mm-hmm. the, the general consumer would be make up the larger percentage of their customer base. Um, but basically, yeah, it's saying – um, they need to run a bunch of sales and promotions to get rid of all this excess stock, uh, which has caused um, to, to get rid of the inventory, and it's caused a, a gross margin dropping three percent. So mm. their margins dropped three percent. Right. Interesting, right? Yeah. No, it is like, and especially such a huge company like that, right? Like them and Adidas. Yeah, you'd want them to. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to see how they're going to go because they're the market leaders. So then, if they're if they've got this issue, who else has this issue? Exactly. Yeah. And they, I mean, they own a, a bunch of smaller brands within them as well. Mm-hmm. So, I think they own Converse. Pretty sure. Uh, while Nike has traditionally leaned on the Chinese market, so that's the Chinese tie I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. to prop up sales, China has struggled with supply chain issues and rising COVID nineteen cases. Shoppers in China are, however, showing a preference for cheaper local brands over pricey. Pricey of foreign ones. Um, so, yeah, Nike sales dropped in China 10%. So, Interesting. So, I guess they're selling more in the North American market and less in mm-hmm. the Chinese market, whether people can even get out and buy them or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, North American sales went the other way, up 21%. Interesting. So, that's sort of they're selling more to the Americans and less to the, the Chinese mm-hmm. consumers. Yeah. Um, which it's, I mean, I feel like the Nike is becoming more and more popular. I don't know how it can possibly become more and more popular in terms of the the shoe brand or the sportswear brand of choice. I just think they're really good at marketing, um, and they're very accessible, right? They've got classic styles, classic designs. They have a lot of sports people involved, a lot of famous people involved, which is makes me think about Adidas, right? Um, yep. And like, is Adidas is issue is it purely like kanye or is they just got the same issue as nike does and they've just got too much stock or are they just trying to blame it on yeezys uh, i've been trying to find a bit of info about adidas mm-hmm. um they just don't have as many SKUs and lines they don't have the endorsements all the all these athlete endorsements and stuff like that we'll get into adidas in, in a second mm-hmm. uh, we have touched on the the purpose of the each brand, right? A few episodes ago, we did um, the difference between Nike and Adidas and the purpose-driven statements and what makes them more popular or... Or what actually made Nike more popular, well, right? Exactly. Made them more successful because we had a look at their chart and revenue and Nike was like legions ahead of what Adidas was. And again, I think it's because Nike are great at marketing, great at being accessible to the everyday human being. Um, and they've... They've got. They've just found a model that works. Yeah, I mean, they've got the Jordan. Jordan brand itself is what boosts a lot of their sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said a second ago, let's get rid of this. Um, this is just a simple graph. If you're watching on YouTube, jump and watch the the video. Obviously, you're watching in and Spotify. You can see the video version as well. Um, just how Nike is shifting away from wholesale and more to direct consumer. So this uh, red graph here is the direct to consumer sales or percentage of. Um, Revenue, and then the blues, the wholesale. So at this, this year, they've just dipped all the way down, cut them all out, and then they're projecting in Q1, Q2, they're just going to start offloading all this inventory back into the stores. Right, yeah. Just to get, get rid of the inventory, right? Like Foot Locker and all these brands are going to be happy to take all these items at mm-hmm. a lower buying cost. Um, so they're not going to have any trouble getting rid of this inventory is the main thing. They've got plenty of inventory, which was caused by this is a summation. They've got plenty of inventory because – supply chain, whatnot, mm-hmm. but recession fears, inflation fears, they're going to have to start selling things at a discount just to like get that money back through. And you know, there's plenty of avenues of selling. They don't have just one way of selling their clothing and their, their footwear. They, they can just offload it to all these stores. Yeah. So it could be a massive, massive year. Uh, we're not financial advisors or anything, but it's something to consider if you are an investor. Um, weighing up, I guess, how the stock flows to the customer, which mm-hmm. is an interesting Interesting thought. In terms of Adidas, they're scrambling to sell 
basically half a billion dollars in Yeezys after cutting ties with Kanye West. I'm not sure if this article touches on it, but I saw... It's a very short article. Yeah, I saw one where they were thinking of just releasing them unbranded. So they have like the same design, but just doesn't have Yeezy on it. Yeah. They're, they're going to struggle, I think. Um, I, I couldn't find a lot of info on this. A lot of the uh, the articles that were getting direct quotes and stuff from Adidas were behind a paywall. And we know we all know how tight we are at the <laughs> Look Mum pod. Um, but we'll set up that Patreon at we'll one, set it up one day. Yeah. Uh, but basically, they can't offload or they're trying to offload half a billion dollars worth of Yeezys because um, it's just going to fracture their brand a bit more if they just if they have all that inventory there and mm-hmm. then they're the association with Kanye. Yeah. Um, but interesting, they, they have a new CEO starting the start of January. Okay. Adidas does. So they're getting – he's worked at Adidas before. He's a former Puma CEO. And what's interesting is they Puma for the last five, six years have been known to do more endorsements like Nike, um, like Jay-Z and Nipsey Hussle and stuff. They started doing collaborations with different artists, rappers, um, sports uh, – Athletes, yeah, because they're quite similar in that classic look, right? So, like with with Nike, they they like to cycle through the you know the Air Force Ones or the um, Cortezes and things like that. Where yeah. Puma have that classic look about them as well. You have a pair of Pumas, don't you? New Balance. Oh, New Balance. Sorry, New Balance is also quite similar. Yeah. But yeah, Puma. So it'd be interesting to see. I mean, like we said, Nike and Adidas are always competing for that number one spot. Nike's just pushed further and further ahead the last few years. They're just like gaining that huge lead. Um, but with the CEO from Puma knowing what he knows coming across to Adidas, there could be more endorsement deals and there could be a closing of the gap between the two brands. It might be exactly what they need to shake things up a little bit in the market because you need that competition, right? Especially with all these shoe brands, sportwear brands, things like that. You just can't have one that controls it or else it's just going to be too cost- costly. And it can't. It won't happen overnight. Nike's been building that that lead for many, many years and mm. um, it, it's just going to it's going to take half a decade to to get any sort of foothold back in the market in terms of endorsements and some huge celebrity or athlete promoting their stuff. But uh, that's enough about retail. I want to hear about these tech trends that you've been looking into. Yeah, I've got uh, two separate ones. I don't know if we'll have time for – I've got just some fun gadgets for so like the fun, last let's, just, let's rip into some fun gadgets. Do you want to do, do the fun gadget first and then I'll yeah. get into the actual trends of it? Let's do it. All right, so let me just send you the, the link and see if you actually buy these little gadgets. Um, and these are like little household gadgets as well. Uh, let me just click in. Let me do the, the fancy. i have to start doing this $480 an hour phone talking phobia lessons to pay, <laughs> pay for some of this stuff. Yeah. All right. So you can run through, run through this because you're the you're the gadget expert. Yeah. So these are just little gadgets and then I'll get into the tech trends like foldable phones and stuff, which is really interesting. Right. So just to we'll run through this one real quick. Like, would you buy this or no? Oh, we're just going to play a game? Yeah, it's a little game. All right. So what's yeah. the, give us a, a, a primer of the the article here. So these ones, are, they're just saying innovative gadgets, right? So some are quite similar to like what's around now, but they're just sort of building up. And this is what they're projecting that people want in their household. Um, just things to really, I guess, help improve everyday life. Um, yeah, just if you would, I guess, buy it or not buy it. So this is from thetechpanda.com, the top 15 innovative gadgets to watch out for in 2023. Watch out. We're going to go for all 15 or? Yeah, we'll just go through real quick. Okay. So the Dow Dow. Dow Dow. Dow Yep. Um, this one's really interesting. So it's oh, 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 Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. Instead of reading for all these, like I said, I'm sure it's going to take ages. I've highlighted the best just, Should I close my eyes and you sell it to me? Like you, you pitch me the item basically. Oh, okay. or, or I just read it with you. I'll, I'll try. You're the pitcher, right? So you're the, the person well, who's always the, pitching me ideas. You can be the batter, but yeah. <laughs> we can swap roles every once in a while. No, that's true. All right. So this is the dodow. So you re- read it out to me and then make a case for why I need it in my life. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right, just role play a little bit here. Yes, and. All right. So have you ever had trouble sleeping? For the sake of this conversation, yeah, all yeah. the time. Um, there's a very common phenomenon in 2020, thanks to a multitude of factors, right? Um, so more than 1 million users, this gadget has become popular. Oh, sorry, this is like really bad. Um, so pretty much this um, was inspired by a relaxation method called sophrology. Um, it works by guiding users through breathing methods, synchronizing their breathing with a soft and blue light signal, causing hypnotic effect, thereby calming one's mind. So... Like the Apple Watch, for example, has so like the, that breathing app. Yes. Yeah. Um, and with, you know, 
so many people are anxious now, a lot of anxiety. You just really need to take that moment to yeah. just like calm and take your breath and stuff. But this uses like a light to sort of remind you to take those breaths a in light. and out. So yeah. where do you wear it? Where, where do you wear it? No, it's just a. It's like a little little pin, like a little where ball. Do you, where do you put it? Like on a bedside table or but something. What if you're in your living room? Uh, in your po- in your hand. Pass. Okay, let's yeah. move on. No, Sorry, I'm just gonna be ruthless for these. I, I skip by this so, one because this doesn't seem like a couch master. Yeah, let's skip through that. Yeah. Theraface Pro. What is this? So this is a. It's just um. It's like a skincare thing, right? So the Theragun. Um, they're a really popular massage yep. gun and stuff. So this like massages your face and it's apparently for like a beauty and makes you feel young again and uh, opens massages up blood vessels. The, yeah, massages the muscles yep. and stuff like that. So. Um, like I think you're beautiful as is. So yeah, I, I want to see some science it. on that yeah. one. Um, uh, yeah, some of these. Uh, I mean, they're all going to sell. People are dummies, and they'll buy anything realistically, yeah. right? Yeah, there's heaps of like these weird things. Uh, this next <laughs> one's really, weird, yeah, weird I habits. know, weird things. Yeah. This one's really cute. So this one sort of reminded me yeah, of Wally. So, you, you are sorry. I'm going to cut you off. You're the worst at like making it interesting. I wasn't this expecting one. to. This is just a yes re- or no. Read out what it is so people know what you're talking about. This is a podcast. No, it's not purely visual, right? No, so oh, that's called, true. It's called a Kiwi Bot, yes. and it does this. And then explain it to me. That's true. Sorry, everybody that's just listening. <laughs> I don't want to be a, a, an asshole, but like you're not, you're just like skimming over what the item is. I forget that we also just have an audio version as well sometimes. So sorry, everybody. <laughs> Kiwi Bot, let's go. So the Kiwi Bot, um, for those that are very uh, familiar with Wally, the Pixar one, it's like a very, it's like a square little robot with yep. wheels on it. Um, so this is disrupting the traditional way of making deliveries for the food service industry. So just imagine a little Wally robot delivering your Uber Eats or Uber food, right? Yep. From the restaurants themselves. How do they drive around on the in the in the normal lane on the road or footpath? I think on the footpath. So they'll use GPS tracking tech. Um, so these semi-automated delivery robots can help eliminate food delivery costs while being both affordable and sustainable. All right. So for anyone that's making money in the gig economy right now, your job is over. Um, I'll, I'll, I will invest in this. Yeah. Yeah. So currently KiwiBot has delivered more than 300,000 orders within different university campuses uh, in the United States. Smart. So that's what all the big tech brands do. Facebook, YouTube, they all start in a university. Mm-hmm. Some usually with like some dating aspect, and then it yeah. rolls out to the greater population. So they're starting in the campuses, which makes total sense, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's sort of within walking distance. You're not really uh, getting transported on like any main roads or or anything like yeah. that. And they've got so, cute little electronic eyes on the front of it as well. So uh, very I think, adorable. I, think I can see that happening because yeah. they were talking about doing drone deliveries through exactly. Amazon for a while. So yeah. I can see that happening. And that's going to be part of the tech trends later on as well with like the drones. Also, um, you have highlighted the article. So maybe just read the highlights from I now did, on. I did. Just that. <laughs> okay. I thought you weren't uh, so, listening before. Excuse me. <laughs> so, uh, what was it called? Kiwi Bot. Yep. Yeah. So Kiwi Bot. And you can like deliver medicines and all that kind all right, of thing. We're going to so. run out of time if we go at this pace. <laughs> but again, it was one of those things that highlighted during COVID where people couldn't leave the home. They needed some sort of way to, you know, get items. I like I like. Yeah. I just. I fear for the Uber Eat drivers. Yes. Um. So this one is the Lytra Glow. Um. So Logitech has actually started to release more like creator stuff. Um. For the mm-hmm. creator economy. Mm-hmm. Um. But this Lytra Glow is an LED light device specifically designed to add cinematic glow that will improve your appearance on camera and help you look more professional. So, so it's rather a filter using, built exactly. in. Yeah. So it's just a light that actually that looks like a filter, so you don't have to worry about editing or anything like that. So I if you want to, if you want to look sexy on your Zoom calls, I mean that's an easy item to. To produce for them, mm-hmm. they make so many little webcams and lights and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's so it's like not an outlandish gadget no. to create. And it's wireless as well, so the battery lasts up to twelve hours. Lightro Glow. Yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. I'm sold on that. Yep. Yeah. Um, skip by this one. Come <laughs> Yep. <laughs> We're just gonna skip them over. Yeah, this one is a. This, it's not new tech. So this is a Moleskin smart writing set. So for those that have seen those digital notebooks where you can write in and it transcribes it digitally for you mm-hmm. as well. So Moleskin are getting in on that market because they're Is Moleskin very- a brand or a type of fabric? It's a brand. Oh. Yeah. So Moleskin a brand. So it's actually- oh, Moleskine. Sorry, Moleskine. So the notebooks were inspired by- Is it really? You yeah, Moleskin's a fabric. Um. But they were inspired by notebooks carried by, you know, prominent artists like Van Gogh and things like that. So yep. they're just taking this um, retro thing and adding a modern twist. Um, so these notebooks are integrated with a system that allows you to take notes with a smart pen and later transcribe them onto your laptop or smartphone. So there's no paper. Yeah, no paper involved. So it's just, wouldn't it just be like one thin piece of plastic? They make it look like a notebook or feel like a notebook. So you have that retro feel to it. So but how many pages? Wouldn't, wouldn't you only need one page and then at the end of it, it would just like wipe it clean, like an extra sketch? It does. Yeah. But it's just like, it just say if you want like to have a notebook, like a foldable tablet in a way. Okay. Um, gimmick. Gimmick? Yep. No. 
Uh, Deco Matters. This one I feel like is not super new anyway. So Deco Matters is an AI, um, augmented reality. Um, so a bit like home design, right? So you have a picture of your house, you'd be able to pop in furniture and things like that. So this one doesn't really feel like a tech trend. I feel it's like been it's been around for, for ages. Yeah, IKEA has one. A bunch. I mean, I, I'd imagine a bunch of the homeware furniture places have have this, but I guess there need there's probably a need for one overarching mm-hmm. brand or technology that they're all integrated with. So yeah. I can see a need for it. I feel like this one will probably would have been better last year, knee deep in COVID when people were doing up their homes and things like yeah. that. But as people aren't spending as much, I don't think it's needed. Late to market. Oh, yeah. coffee. Just what I was thinking. I looked at my cup there and it was empty. Yeah, so with, again, cost of living, people are trying to find ways to save money. So why not with a smart coffee machine? So- I feel like these already exist as well. They Barista, do. Brewster Express Impress. What's yes. different about this? So with these ones here, I think they're Wi-Fi connected through an app and you can literally these press are, a button. No, and these are, these are, see, these aren't innovative. Yeah. Why are they innovative? I feel like Tech Panda, get, get your stuff together. Yeah. I feel like they are cool gadgets to watch out for, but they're not necessarily innovative. I've heard of these for years. Yes. Yeah, so that's why I haven't highlighted any of these ones. Keep okay, going. So you, highlight you're, more. you're ahead of the game. Yeah. Electrolyzed water system. I don't think I highlighted that one Jesus. either. That's been around for a while. Nothing phone. People know about that one. Nothing phone. What's a nothing phone? I just know apps. Uh, it's just a, a see through. Yeah, see through. It's just um a no brand phone, right? So it looks like an iPhone, acts like an Android, just like one of those sort of things. Uh, these aren't inspiring me. I want the Kiwi bot to bring me a, a smart coffee right now, but I'm not terribly inspired by any of these. Yeah. And again, this is like a <laughs> selfie stick, like a. What's it called? It's called Power Vision S1. <laughs> We're just—it's a Power Vision S1. So it's a gadget that it has it all when it comes to recording videos, taking photos, and editing visual content. So it comes with gesture control, wireless charge bank, professional living photographs, and editing. But again, these have been around for a while. So, so. it's a Osmo gimbal. Yeah, pretty basically. similar. Yeah. What's different about it? Um, it has a in-app editor where you could sort of download and edit all of. And your one. phone clips onto it. Yeah. This is like these aren't innovative. Oh my no, god! I, I feel like we could have found a better. Uh, I, I feel like we could have found a better, uh, better article to reference, perhaps. Yeah, this one's interesting. <laughs> Just skim over my yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm trying to rush through so because yep. I've got the other proper tech trends. This uh, is we're not gonna have time for it, but yep. Ta- yeah, no, we will. What's this one called? Yeah, so this one's called Tac. Tachagon skin. Yeah. Um, so it's disrupting 3D with the arrival of a new wearable computer mouse, which is disrupting really interesting. Disrupting 3D what? Real life. So. Yeah, exactly. So it's a wearable mouse. So rather than having like your hand on it, so you're actually wearing it within your hand. So you can actually walk around with it like you're not stuck to the table using it. So like what you'd imagine with uh, an Oculus Rift type of hand remote gesture-based mouse device. 100%, yeah. So you don't have to rely on a tabletop to be able to use it. Would you get more or less carpal tunnel from that? I don't know. Probably more, I'd say. Probably more, all right. So, some health concerns with that one. Yeah. I've, I'm only liking the uh, Kiwi bot so far. Yeah, it's only the good ones. So. And Twinkly. So, a lot of these are, are we, I mean, let's, a lot of these are boring, to be honest. Smart yeah. dog collar, mm-hmm. um, biometric health collar for dogs where you can literally track your dog's health through an app on your phone. See, I don't know about this because we have Apple Watches yeah. where you can track sleep and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's never that accurate. Is your heart rate super accurate? Is your is it telling your blood pressure? How's it going to get dog, dog info? I know. I don't know but about apparently, these. Apparently, like these are all the popular tech trends or like tech gadgets for twenty twenty three. Fair enough. Yeah, but I, I can see I can see how all of them can make life better. But there, mm-hmm. I was thinking like dramatically. Maybe my expectations for innovation were just higher for this yeah, this year. I think so. Like I just wanted to do that, but I'll go through some other really decent ones and then I'll get into the VR right. one a little bit as Let's well. Go. Yeah. All right. Easy. So. I'll just send you this one. So it's just we've got a bit of, um, I guess, imagery in the background. So yep. one one huge thing was obviously foldable phones is going to be huge. Um, Pixel are going to be joining the market for foldable phones as well, and they're so being leaked designs. Who's currently in the market? So at the moment, it's mainly Samsung that are in the market with the foldable phones. Nokia do have foldable ones, but they're just your retro sort of style ones. So they don't have that smart glass so, technology. Okay, yeah, they're flip. Traditional flip style. Yeah. Um, so expect to you know, places like... Oh, I like these because mm. you can stand them up like an iPad. Yeah. Um, that's where it's sort of going to go. So phones are first and I have a feeling that 
tablets and stuff are going to come second, right, to be able to just have that um, aspect of being able to fold something, pop it in your bag, a bit like a notebook, but it ends up being a tablet. See, that, that this just eliminates or makes redundant that moleskine thing. 100%. Immediately. Yeah. But you have to start with something, right? You have to start with those transcribing notebooks that then build up into these phones or into these tablets. So- All right. So Samsung leads the way in this area with the release of its third generation Galaxy Z Fold. But now it seems Google may be looking to follow suit. Rumors that about Google developing a foldable phone have been circulating for years. Uh, but nothing concrete has come out. Even, However, rumors have begun heating up with renders circulating the internet. So, yeah, we should preface that uh, these are renders, but I do like the ability to – I mean, there's the cameras on different angles. Mm-hmm. There's folding so you can, like, sketch on them. The the Samsung ones I've seen are just ba- very basic. They can't prop themselves up. Oh, the the one and two were not the best, but the third's actually pretty decent. But like people can, are loving the. But you know how like these iPad cases, you can like fold the like corner and yes. make it stand up on itself. Mm-hmm. That is that that would be a, a cool little addition to these type yeah. of things. So that's one thing is the foldable tech is going to become huge in twenty twenty three. So What's, you're going to have Oppo and yep. Vivo and stuff. Uh, why fold? Why is it necessary to have foldable? Because it's something that's. Like the phone market's been the same for so long, right? So I've got an iPhone in my hand. It's just been a long rectangle thing for so long that people are craving something new, something different. So the fact that there's a a phone that can fold, yeah. Like it's been the same look for so long Mm -hmm. that people need. It's like when we used to have flip phones, right? Like Nokia, Motorola, all those kind of ones. They need need something to evolve into. Exactly. So it's a disruptor in a way. Sometimes... Evolutions aren't necessary. It would be my point, my yeah. devil, devil's advocate point. Mm-hmm. Um, not, I'm not sold on it myself. Like mm-hmm. I can see the benefit for some people, but I, I prefer my – maybe yeah. I'm just a, a traditionalist iPhone yeah. maxi. All right, next one. Drones. Next one, yeah, yeah. drones. This is going to be like a um, a bit of a fast round. So drones is huge. Are any of these going to be affordable? Because I did read yesterday that um, – I mean, we mentioned supply chain issue, issues before. Mm-hmm. The iPhone 14 was just – Fraught with supply chain issues, the new fi- new fifteen they're talking about um, is the price is going to be dramatically increased, and the supply chain and chip issues and shortages yeah. and inflation going up. Is any of this stuff going to be affordable or what? Well, they're making a new factory. So I think it's opened up this in, week or opening in, up in India. India? Yeah. yeah. So they've got a new factory that's going to make new new chips um, that's really going to help. But again, I think they're just going to go up in pricing, which is why they just need a little bit more variance in the market, right? Rather than just having the standard look of a phone, mm-hmm. they need some disruptors in there just to make it a bit different, bring the cost down in a way as well. So everyone wants to travel now. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk drone, drone trends. Everyone wants to get back to traveling Mm-hmm. Um, international flights are back open. Yep, but this is actually more around contactlessness, right? So this is where they really see the drone tech going. So with not only food delivery, pasta delivery, like Amazon is someone that's doing it really well. Um, but one thing is and the that, Kiwi bot. Yeah, exactly. The Kiwi bot's doing well, but that's yeah. on the road. So this is in the air. So one thing Which that is, was yeah, sorry, I'm kicking you off. Yeah, um, that's untapped, right? Mm-hmm. Road roads are pretty capped out. Yeah, anything at surface level, ground level is pretty mm-hmm. tapped out. Hundred percent. Yeah. And one thing this is really getting into is like a safety for humans, right? And this is potentially could limit jobs or stop jobs from happening, but they've got aerial uh, LIDAR. Um, so that's light detection. So you actually can do a little bit more in-depth around safety issues, so around construction, archaeology, with, with dro- mining. Yeah. With the use of drones. Yeah. So drone tech is going to get heaps more specific and more um, – Job specific as well. Right. That yes. makes sense. Yeah. Because at the moment, mainly people use it for photography or use it for videoing. Well, they haven't been designed for specific industries. That makes total sense. Exactly. Yeah. Because it was mainly a military use thing, right? And it has such a negative connotation to it that people want to be like, no, you can actually use it for safety. Everything. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Uh, something I did at uni was um, like geog- not geography, I forget what it was called. Basically, where you can scan the, the, the ground for different fluctuations in mm-hmm. uh, altitude or like yep. if you're like surveying crops and stuff like that. A hundred percent. A lot of that stuff can be done with satellite. Yeah. Uh, but if you can do it with drones, you get more of a, a 3D image, I 100%. guess, because you can go – you can move in more directions than one. Exactly. Three-dimensional. Di- three yeah. yeah, they'll be able to take an actual proper image, be able to see what type of soil it is. Yep. Um, they'll be able to use drones in supply chains. So obviously, that's with Amazon. Like, journalism was a really interesting one. So, instead of sending a journalist up in a helicopter for traffic updates, yep. just send a drone. Right. Yeah. No, no, no more of those annoying uh, 
uh, free-to-air TV ads where they're like coming live from a helicopter. I know. It's purely just for an advertising slot. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, same as like disaster situations, so volcanoes, floods, all that kind of thing. Um, so, yes, it's going it's to get incorporated into everything. Yes. With drones, it's going to be really interesting what they're going to do in the next year or so because it's just starting to really gain popularity. People are using it for everyday use. Um, but something that I find or found that was really interesting for the tech trends yeah. was around VR tech, right? So, VR tech's been around for such a long time, well, almost a long time now in gaming, PlayStation VR. Um, but where I really see it going is where it's going to go in the medical industry industry but they do have some really interesting headsets coming out so i'll just send you a quick it's link been for ages i know playstation have have had their one for many many years now oculus rift which i think was bought by uh facebook and meta it was it seems yeah. like it's been around for a decade but it's still it's not really really a, a widely um popular thing for like consumers at home right like it's a it's a high-end product that no one can really afford but same as the drones, there's applications in many, many industries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is um, best VR headsets of 2023. 20, yeah. So there's um, all these brands are going to start getting into the market now. So as more people start having that market share, the more people are going to need it and going to start using it. So just go through real quick, just yep. some really cool looking ones. So you've got the MetaQuest, which is everyone's talking about. Again, they're not super cheap either. Because they're, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, they're kind of, um, shooting themselves in the foot there at Meta and who knows yep. what's going on. Exactly. Um, <laughs> HP Reverb. So, they, they, most of these are gaming ones, right? Yes, exactly. And that's where it sort of started with. So, people are like, well, there's so much aspects to VR that you can do with that in-person gaming experience. They're getting a lot thinner now. They're getting a lot easier to use. And one thing that's actually really happening now, and I'll find up the article just in a second, um, is that the fact that they can start using it in healthcare. Which right. is really interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things that's only just sort of starting to gain momentum in the healthcare industry because, again, this is like another COVID thing, right? So, people to begin with, especially doctors and stuff, if you were training to be a doctor, you had to actually train in person. Right. I was thinking about this. We have to go to the dentist in a couple of weeks. And the guy, yes. the guy that does our teeth is pretty damn young. Yeah. How much experience does he have? Exactly. And like with lockdown, people not being able to actually go to school and actually study, how are they going to practice being a doctor? So Interesting. With this VR technology, you can actually practice you know, doing surgery um, and they're saying it's actually having a better success rate through VR teaching rather than actually in person because it's a one-on-one experience, right? right. So, it's like the ultimate version of the operation game. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's It's one-on-one in person rather than having like, you know, 50 students in a class all learning the same thing. You've got that personal one-on-one experience. I mean, you can use this for anything. Even like I did my science degree, just learning how to pipette different things and to do different reactions in test tubes. 100%. And and you're saving all the supplies and the the glassware and everything else. But obviously, if you can save lives by doing hours and hours of research. I mean, they've been doing it for decades with space flight, right? You do all the simulation type stuff. 100%. Same thing. Essentially. And one thing that the medical industry loves about this is how cost effective it can be. It's just not widely accessible just yet. Let's rip through this article. Global, Mm -hmm. this is from Yahoo Finance, global virtual reality in healthcare market to hit sales of 31 billion by 2028. So just five years. Yes. It's going to hit 31 billion. Therapy is gaining momentum in behavioral health. So virtual reality is becoming increasingly popular in the healthcare sector as a tool for training, education, and simulation. You you did, you prefaced the article well. Thank you. Getting better. Yeah. (laughs) better than me the use of vr headsets allows users to immerse themselves in realistic three-dimensional environments and provides a more engaging and effective learning experience Uh, so it's super interesting right it makes it makes sense it's very cost effective the cost of universities especially Mm in uh healthcare and science very expensive so you want to make sure you're as qualified as possible. Yeah. And you're getting the best experience, right? So it teaches how to perform delicate surgeries. Um, operation. Also, yeah, That's operation, yeah. Um, also, you give to nursing students that realistic experience, like caring for patients. Like imagine those emergency situations, right? Like in the ER, like emergency response, you've actually got a proper simulation for it on how to be able to react to it. So it's going to give you a better chance when the real life situation happens because you can role play, right? Yeah. But it's always that level of um, not joking, but you know it's not real. But when you're like fully immersed, especially in a game, right? You forget you're in a game. So when you're in these ER situations, it's really a great training tool to actually prepare them for real life. And they probably have alternative and like there's probably like um, best practices for be- like bedside manner and things of that mm-hmm. nature. And there'll be multiple, multiple like a choose your own adventure type situation. Yeah. 
uh, like the best some of the best video games are the ones where you get to choose your own path. Hundred percent. So the there is the answer that you give changes the course of the game. So I imagine all that stuff can be implemented. Exactly. Pretty interesting. And with AI as well, being able to predict and be able to teach you and change it and adapt. Um, one thing that's really cool is they're using it in therapy as well. So be able to face your fears. Right. Um, so rather than using drugs, and some people might not actually be able to take drugs and things like that. Just say something as simple as fear of heights. Right. You'd be able to put on the VR headset and face your fears, or if you've got other type of fears or other things like that, like exposure therapy, you'd be able to use a VR headset in a safe, controlled environment where you can really, like, I guess, get to the cause issue without having to worry about, you know, external factors and stuff. You've just got a headset on, you're safe, you're, yeah, it's like one of those really interesting um, environments that could work and you could do it from home, right? You yeah. could see your therapist from home. Interesting. And, like, it's one of those things where the, the quality of video games themselves and VR is going to get more and more realistic uh, with time. But probably the first couple of times you go in for these therapy sort of sessions, you're probably like, ah, oh, this is sort of fictional or I, I know I'm not in a real situation or environment. But over time, as the technology gets better, mm-hmm. you, you, you become fully immersed. Yeah. Fully immersed. Exactly. So good segue into whether or not it was intentional into the, the last topic, the phobia of talking on the phone, right? So- Hustle idea of the week because this woman makes absolute bank, bank. <laughs> complete bank. So, this is from Business Insider. This woman charges $480 an hour to help Gen Z and millennial workers overcome their fear of talking on the phone. She's a bit older than I thought. I thought she'd be like a younger you? sort of person. Well, no, she's, but- she's not a Gen Z and millennial. She's had experience on the phone. On the phone. She's used to the old uh, landline. She could be a, like a, a phone sex worker. What are they called? No. Uh, <laughs> they start- what do they used to be called? Like a hot... Hotline. Hotline, yeah. Sex line. Sex line. Sex line. No, she's probably just a like a standard therapist, right, that actually can teach people how to overcome their fears. And probably everything. just a normal therapist that yeah. just found a gap in the market. Her name 100%. is Mary Jane Cops, trains workers to engage with customers over the phone. So she charges $480 an hour for one-on-one coaching, $480 an hour. That's, That's like crazy. Tw- it's a lot of, I mean, it's like eight bucks a minute. Yeah. Can I charge you $480 to call up the real estate? No, hell no. I hate dealing with that. Just deal, Just send me an SMS. Uh, $480 an hour for one-on-one coaching and $365 for 30-minute webinars. Mm-hmm. 30 minutes so, on, on Skype? Are yeah. you kidding me? As part of a seven-part program. So, what's that? 365 times seven is like two, 2,300 bucks. Jesus Christ. You can't be that desperate. You can't be that fearful that you can't figure it out on your own, right? You want to pay someone two and a half grand. For corporate workshops, a daily rate is three and a half grand. That's a lot of money. So many of her clients are in the financial sector or startups. Her first step is working out why someone's anxious about phone calls. A common fear is that is what if someone asks me a question that I don't know the answer to? I often say for the next three days, I don't want you to text anyone and I want you to tell them to call their friends and family. So basically, it's just, again, it's throwing them in the deep end, just mm-hmm. making them... Um, Find alternative avenues for communication. Stop what you're doing because yep. it's like furthering your phobia and mm-hmm. start doing it my way. So she's basically charging two, three grand to say, just get just, over it. Just get over it, more yeah. or less. No, but I can see that, right? Like I like like you said before, I work in a retail space. Like I have to call customers sometimes. I speak to customers face to face. Like I have to deal with disgruntled customers or call complaints or things like that. Like I've got experience with that, but I still get that fear and I still get that anxiety when I have to call the real estate or I have to call and cancel or rebook a dentist appointment or I have to organize, you know, an Archie vet appointment. I always like pause and just like have to take a deep breath and be like, okay. Yeah, even though like it's no issue calling afterwards. I'm like, oh, that was not bad. It's weird because we grew up on landlines. We did, yeah. We grew up on like this super stretchy Mm -hmm. um, extension cord and then we evolved into cordless. Yeah. And like we used to call every every afternoon would be calling people, but now it's such a a fearful thing. Well, I think because texting etiquette is different to email etiquette is different to phone call etiquette, right? Like it's all like a slightly different phrasing, like the way that you structure your sentences and things like that as well. Like when you call, it's very much a little bit more formal than it is like texting, be like, yo, where are you at? And you don't have time to stop and consider and reformat or restructure what you're going to say. It's off the cuff, which is like, why podcasts are so difficult. It's purely off the cuff. Off the cuff in the moment. It's live, right? People hate live, so they prefer to post edit version, which is texting. So yeah. Interesting little side hustle we thought we'd bring to the table this week. Mm. Would you I mean for eighty an hour, would you consider a new 
career, career direction? I could do that. I could teach people how to talk on the phone. Good job. I think Would so. Would you be able to ex- tell it, get them to explain um, trend top 10 innovative trends in Fine, a, that in was a, a bad. In a structured that method. Was a, I just wanted to go quick, yes or no. Like, would you take this? Um, but yeah, like, but the drone spot is like really interesting. And the, the V, I'm curious what they're going to do with the VR headset stuff, like within the medical industry, because obviously it's been just purely for gaming, right? And it's not until like Facebook, well, I keep calling it Facebook, but Meta has been like, we want to create a different space for people to be able to use these headsets to socialize and things like that. So, yeah, what's going to be next? Um, that's just not going to be for fun or entertainment. Like, what are people going to be using it for? Interesting. And, mm. and I mean, the, like from that aspect of like some of these tech things do involve talking to people in real time, especially like VR. Like mm-hmm. you, same as like talking headset, talking to your headset uh, for a video game or something. You're talking crap to your friends or you're you're chatting to someone else you're playing with. Yeah. VR is going to be the same thing for for the video game thing mm-hmm. as well. So it's interesting to see where these phobias uh, end up. But I know what we're, we won't have a phobia of is that's turning up next week for episode 45. I know. We'll be back then. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks. Drop a subscription on the YouTube. Uh, hit us a like, a thumb, like. I was going to say hit us a like on the thumbnail. I guess yeah. there'll be a thumbnail. Yeah, there, there will right? be a thumbnail. But yeah, don't forget to review. Give us your feedback. We really value the feedback because it helps us improve week in, week out. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.